0: Once upon a time when we were coloured, there wasn't no Black History Month for us to be empowered, and we all had to learn about Henry VIII and the wives he divorced or beheaded It was all 1066, 1966 and dreaming of getting our kicks on Route 66. It was all Battle of Hastings, Waterloo and Trafalgar and any other war we won that came after. You see, in them times, Britannia ruled the waves and Britons never, ever, ever would be slaves. And back then, we considered ourselves as one of them, Britons who never, ever had been slaves and never, ever would be enslaved. slaves. So there was no need for black history like it was some kind of mystery. There was no need to learn about Africa's great kings and queens and how we taught the world to read and write and add and subtract and many other amazing things. And yeah, we taught the world to sing properly. I can't lie, because if you spit in the sky, it will fall in your eye, no doubt. Yeah, once upon a time when we were coloured, I swear the BBC Breakfast presenter Naga Munchetti would never have won a little trouble that turned into a struggle against the BBC. She wouldn't have got the support for one thing that the kind of stand she took brings. And maybe we have to thank Bob Marley for that because he's saying get up and stand up for your rights and Naga's rights are all our rights and her fight is all our fight because our history allows us to tell our stories, the half that's never been told, that was hidden from the babe and suckling and now revealed to all and sundry. That's when we see, that's when we realise that's when we open our eyes that this kind of thing has happened to me and you and me and you and all of us who've had to navigate our way through just to maintain, just to maintain our dignity. Yes, Naga won a famous victory and that is part of our history. People of colour all over this country are celebrating without any apology. And as if that wasn't enough, 2019's Black History Month saw the first black politician conduct Prime Minister's questions in the Houses of Parliament, where Diane Abbott performed the duties of the leader of the opposition in holding the government to task for all its actions. It's taken all this time... And that's the closest any African or Caribbean has gotten to running things and being the person with the most power on either side of the chamber of Westminster. And it gave us an insight into what it would be like if a black person was to become prime minister. It won't be easy. It won't be straight. And it will be full of love and also full of hate. Don't expect it to be particularly black because they'll be repping everyone. That's just a fact. And the haters will be watching if they get too black. And if they do, you will expect a lash back. So, so far, it's been an amazing Black History Month for women of colour. And we haven't even yet mentioned our incredible Dina. Asher Smith, who smashed it in Doha and is now the world champion in the 200 metres. She took the gold after taking the 100 metres silver, and I hope that will be recognised in the New Year's honours. I was so proud of her representing our brothers and sisters and inspiring both of my daughters. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that this Black History Month, it's the ladies that are leading the way And talking of sharing stories that we can all relate to, I met up with Gina Yashiri, one of the funniest comedians out there when it comes to telling stories that are our histories, the way we were, and the way our parents beat us, so that we would learn not to allow anyone to mistreat us, if that makes sense. But she started from very humble beginnings, Uh, She's a Nigerian of Nigerian heritage, but born in London. And she started off as a lift engineer. Gina, was that early career
1: elevating? Oh, no, get out. No, get out. (laughs) <laughs> I had to ask oh you had to alright yeah you yeah. know how many jokes I've heard about going up and I'm down Well sure. oh, it must have been up and down your career <laughs> uh, yes do you remember much of that time though oh yeah I mean I loved it I enjoyed it I built and repaired lifts I worked for Otis which is the biggest lift company in the world so I studied I studied electrical electronics engineering because as you know I'm from a Nigerian family so uh, the comedy was not an option It was your doctor, accountant, engineer, chemist, something like that, pharmacy, something like that. So I had to choose one and I chose engineering. And when did you realise that you had a funny bone? You know what, I've always been funny since I was a kid, you know, it was the normal class clown, always messing around in the classroom, making other people laugh and stuff. So I always knew I had that knack, Um, but I never saw it as a career option because I'm from an academic family. So, um, you know, I had a drama teacher say to me when I was 12, you need to be a performer. She actually pulled me inside and said, you need to do you know, some sort of performance, you've got something. And uh, I told my mother that. And she was like, no, you're not doing performance. You're, you're going to have a proper job. You're going to be a doctor or engineer or accountant or pharmacy, something useful. So I had to pick, my mum actually picked all my options at school. Like, in fact, I went on to do A-level biology because for a little while I did... I did follow the doctor path but then I got to A-level biology and we had to cut open a a rat or something and I was like, okay, I can't stand the sight of blood or entrails. This doctor thing ain't going to work. So I switched to engineering.
0: (laughs) I suppose that's one of the unique things about your comedy is that you're a cultural insider in terms of what African families are about but you're also an outsider born in Britain as
1: such and you use that a lot in your comedy. Oh yeah, like a lot of my comedy, especially the beginning, talks a lot about being... Born in London of Nigerian parents and you know I'm going to school, being British at school, eating bangers and mash and whatever, and going home and eating pounded yam, okra stew and the, the differences in the cultures between my my fa- my family, my West Indian friends' families, my white friends' families, so yeah it's a lot of that culture clash stuff I did at the beginning. So my mother features heavily. Of course she does.
0: Yes. When did you realise that that was going to be your unique selling point if you like as a comedian?
1: I didn't really. When I just first started doing comedy, I just wanted to talk about what... Because I've been to a lot of comedy shows and there was a lot of Caribbean comics laughing at Africans. That's all it was. It was Caribbean comics talking about African traffic wardens, you know, African accountants, how we dressed, the crocodile skin, shoes, no socks, all that kind of stuff. And that was all the humour that I saw and I was like, well... When I do comedy, I'm going to come from this angle. I'm going to be yeah, I'm an African, and I'm going to turn it back on you Caribbeans, and I'm going to do jokes about you guys, as well as doing jokes about myself. So that's where that came from. I didn't see it as a selling point. It was I was just trying to redress the balance of all these Caribbean comedians laughing at us. Was it an instant hit, though? It was. It really was. My first show, I don't think I'd be doing it now if it wasn't an instant hit because if I died a death and been booed off that made, would have made me go actually maybe this thing comedy thing isn't for me. Great hit. First show because I was different and I was very confident. I've always been quite show off and big headed anyway so I performed it like I had been doing it for years and the stuff that I was talking about I talk about how the names that I used to get called at school and every, all the Caribbean people recognised the names that they used to call me at school so I talked about that and it brought back a lot of memories and we all laughed about it together. How old were you at the time? So that was like, uh, that was 1996, so I was like 23, 22, 23, something like that, yeah.
0: And since then, you've taken that act essentially all around the world. Yes. How does it go down elsewhere in the world? In the United States, where you live uh, many uh, months of the year now, for example, do they understand the particular quirkiness of being from a Nigerian background but brought up in Britain?
1: I mean, I have to explain it to them a lot more. But yeah, they do understand it because even though it's a Nigerian character, my mother, there's still a lot of um, crossover between my mother and Jewish mothers. I've had a lot of Jewish people come up to me after shows and go, oh my God, your mum is just like my mum. So the character's very interesting, the character's funny, and it's got a lot of different layers to the character, it's not just an accent. And, and some jokes, there's a lot of different layers. So people get the character and find it funny. And the stories are interesting. So yeah, they get it everywhere. I've done these jokes in Singapore. I've done them in Japan. People get it everywhere. And what does your mother think now? Does she come to your shows? Oh yeah, my mum loves it. I've made my mother famous. She's been on television with me. Uh, she's got standing ovations because of me. Like I've been in a theatre and I've got my mum's in the audience and the whole crowd stood up. And my mum is doing this, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that is me. Yes, I am the one. I am the one. My mom loves it. <laughs> but you're not an accountant. You're uh, not a doctor. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she was upset when I first started in comedy. She was like, comedy, what, the, what, what, what is this? Comedy. Well, you want to be a clown. You are, you are telling me you are leaving engineering to be a clown. But I got on television within six months of starting. Then that validated everything. She's like, oh, my daughter's on TV. And then she could tell all her friends, oh, my daughter, she's on television. So that validated it. And after that, she's been the most supportive of mothers. It's unbelievable. And you've toured Nigeria as well. I've done shows in Nigeria. I got brought out um, not that long ago by Basketmouth, who's a huge comedian in Nigeria. He saw me. uh, We worked together in New York. And uh, he was like, I want to bring you to Nigeria. You'll do well here. And he brought me out. I went out to Lagos and did a show at the Echo Suites Hotel in Lagos with Basket Mouth and a load of other comedians from all over Africa.
0: And how did that go down?
1: It went down pretty well, actually. Because you were
0: taking coals to Newcastle, as we say, or oil to Saudi Arabia there with your act.
1: Yes, obviously I, did, I had to come from a different angle because they know they're Nigerians. They're, yeah, yeah, our mum's like that. Yeah, what, what else you got? So I came from a different angle. And I was kind of known in Nigeria because I did this character on the Lenny Henry show called Mrs. Amokrede, and she was a pushy mother, and I played a woman who was like, my daughter is going to be a doctor. Push her, push her. So that sketch, I put it on YouTube years ago, and it went viral in Africa, so people knew me in Nigeria from those character sketches, so they kind of knew me, and half the crowd were like, yay, and half the crowd were looking at me like, who is this English girl telling jokes about Nigeria? We don't like it. Why is she telling jokes about us? I don't like it. We don't like it. So it was a very hard but it, The show went well overall. How does Nigeria come across to you,
0: who were brought up in Britain? Um, what do you make of the country itself
1: there? I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, I've heard, you know, Nigeria's got different reputations and not all of it good, 90% of it not good. I mean, I even had other Nigerians tell me, no, don't go there, don't go there, it's dangerous, don't go there. And I'm going, I need to go, I need to see, because I've been before and I booked it and I was like, I want to go, I want to see where my family comes from, I want to, you know, meet my relatives I haven't met. And yeah, Nigerians were telling me, "You, you don't go there, it's dangerous, it's, it's not for you. But I went and I had a great time, I met a lot of great people, I met a lot of not so great people, but I had a great time. It's the same, Wherever you go in the world, there's going to be challenges. But
0: you don't feel Nigerian, do you? You don't sound it.
1: I know. When I went back to Nigeria, that was the thing. That was the big issue when I went back to Nigeria. Because Nigerians don't see me as Nigerian. They look at me like, well, oh, you're... They, one, one guy called me, oh, you are part of the lost generation. You yeah, are the lost. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm lost? I'm, I'm coming back. I'm here. But they didn't respect me as a Nigerian because I'm, I sound like this. And I look a certain way. I don't dress the same, I've got tattoos all over me, whatever, they, they, they you're American, you you're, they kept calling me American, you're American, you know, and I'm like, I'm not American, but that's how they saw me, and I was, I was with a friend who actually speaks fluent Yoruba, and she was with me, but even when she spoke, spoke Yoruba to, to, Nigerians and Lagos, they're like, nah, you guys speaking Yoruba with that English accent, so I'm like, we can't win, she's speaking fluent Yoruba, and you're still not happy with that, because she has a slight English twang, so I was like, yeah, that, that was my issue. Accept us all, Nigerians. Accept us. Like I'm coming home. I'm trying to revel in my culture, and you're like, no, you're not. You're not one of us. Yeah.
0: What's it like in the states? So you've chosen that as your home for the last six years. Why? Yes.
1: I just, you know, I wanted to be England. England is a small country, and I was born and raised there, I'd been there all my life, and I'd reached a certain level of success in England. And I didn't want to be a big fish in a small pond, I wanted to take it worldwide. If you make it in America, that's you, you're all over the world, that's it, it's done. So I wanted to go there and compete with the sharks, you know, and that's why I went. And plus, I'm a sun worshipper, so I wanted to live somewhere hot and still do my comedy.
0: Hasn't it cost you though, being in America for your career, when you consider it, many of your contemporaries in Britain have had their own TV shows and you haven't had yours?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say it cost me at all. Uh, many of those contemporaries you're talking about are all white males and so as a white male yes you've got a higher chance of getting at your own TV show but as a black female who doesn't look a certain way is not a certain age and doesn't really compromise her comedy that really wasn't happening for me I've, I've been on loads of different TV shows I get low you know I'm very consistent and I'm good so people are always booking me on TV shows But actually taking the risk and going right let's actually have a vehicle for her that hasn't happened so I thought well I'm not gonna hang around waiting for a carrot that they've been dangling in front of my face for the last 15 years I'm gonna go off and do my own thing and the fact is as a lot of black British actors who've left England And gone to America, have discovered when they make it in America, suddenly they're huge stars back in England. And then the British TV are throwing stuff at them. Idris Elba is one example. He went, you know, he was in England getting nothing. He went to America, became hugely successful. Then now they're like, oh, here's Luther. We've got a show that will be perfect for you. That would have been perfect for him 10 years ago when he was struggling in England, but it didn't happen. So that's the thing. I'm, I think it's more of a, if I go away and become more successful somewhere else, I'll be appreciated more back home. And that is kind of happening to a lesser effect than Idris, obviously. But it is happening. I'm getting a lot more offers since I've become more successful in the States. So I don't think it's, I mean, financially it killed me for the first few years because I'm taking a huge drop, drop in income and going to America and starting again where nobody knew who I was. So I was literally working for the first three years for nothing just building up my reputation. But what's life without risk? That's the excitement of it. And Idris Elba that you talk
0: of there is, of course, himself very much like you. He's of a West African background, brought up in Britain. If not then in Britain, if your career um, is not going to be anchored in Britain in terms of success, is it any better in the United States? Why don't you simply think, I'll go back to Nigeria. There'll be people willing to put me on television in Nigeria and offer me my own television
1: programs there, why not go there? I've I've considered it, over the last few years I've considered it Um, especially when I went and performed in Nigeria, I thought well there could be something for me here, but then you know with that I'm very British, I'm not the norm, I'm a little bit mouthy as a woman I don't know because I've had a lot of run-ins with Nigerian men because I'm too much of this, so I'm thinking would I do well in Nigeria being as outspoken as I am and you know my sensibilities are very Western so well, uh, that, that's that's always been a
0: little bit of a worry. Comedy is comedy though if you can make people laugh in Britain is there a difference between making people laugh in Britain than in, in America
1: or in Africa? In, in Nigeria in Africa yeah I mean I've been to South Africa and done shows and that's been fine in Nigeria you've got all the different dialects the different you know this tribe to like I've watched Nigerian comedians and I've understood roughly half of it. The other half, I don't get at all. You know, oh, the house that's talking about the yorubas the yorubas talking about the Igbos. I haven't got that background, the, the different you. nuances between them. I mean, I could pick it up, but coming from me, they'll be like, hmm, who is this girl? What does she know about the house? That's She's from me, like, ah, shut your mouth, get out. So that's always been my issue. That was my fear of going and doing comedy in Nigeria on a full-time basis. But I could see myself as hosting a show in Nigeria. I could definitely see myself doing that.
0: Comedy is a business. Yes. Let's not forget that. Yes. And are you in control of that business? Or I'm in do total. Other
1: people do? I mean, I've got managers who book my stuff and take a percentage, but I'm in complete control of my my career. I've both DVDs that I've shot. I I shot them myself. I, you know because TV channels will give you money to shoot a DVD, then they own the stuff, not me. I, I pay for the shoots myself. I finance the whole project myself, and then I own all the material and I can sell it as I please. How much do you earn? enough. I make a decent enough living. I can't believe you just asked me that, Doctor. What, what should I ask you? How much do you earn, Doctor? You, I asked... How much do you earn?
0: Let Wait, us discuss. On, tell your relatives.
1: <laughs> tell your relatives. <laughs> tell your relatives how much I earn.
0: I won't be able to go to Nigeria again if I tell them. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's, this is not how it works. You know how interviews work. I yes. ask the questions, you answer Oh, them.
1: okay. Do, do, you, do you earn enough to retire? Not yet. I earn enough to make a nice living, I enjoy my life, I want for nothing, but Are you rich? No, I'm not rich. I am comfortable but not rich, not wealthy, not enough to to go, I'm going to take six months off work. I'd love to get to that point but I haven't, not that I'd want to, but that's my idea of financial freedom where I can go, you know what, I don't feel like working for four months and I don't have to worry about the mortgage not paid or whatever, I'm not nowhere near that.
0: There's one thing that a lot of people don't know about you that I do, which
1: is you're a hell's angel. (laughs) Yes, I love motorbikes. I'm a speed freak. I'm an adventure seeker. I loved, I I ride motorbikes, I've done bungee jumping, I've done a parachute jump. I love adventure. And that was because my mum smothered me. She was one of those overprotective Nigerian mothers. And she was like, no, she never let me go on school trips. In fact, she used to keep a scrapbook of bus and train crashes. And she goes, you see these people, these children, they didn't listen to their parents, and that's why they're dead. But yeah, my mum used to do that. So as I got older, I had this urge to go and seek adventure.
0: Gina, you're not going to like what I'm going to say now. Because the last time I asked you this, uh, you basically sent me packing with my tail between my legs. Tell us your best joke.
1: I don't have a best joke, Dot, well, all tell my us stuff. Any. I've got stories. Okay. You've got to come to my shows. Okay. You've got to look at my website and continue to tell us your stories. I ain't got time for stories. We're having a discussion. This is news. We're discussing my life. We're discussing me and you. This is a serious. I've, I've got a, my special scarf on. I'm trying to be newsy and, and what, serious. What's the biggest laugh you've ever had on stage? probably when I fell off it once I fell off a stage once Really? <laughs> I was live on television and I just tripped and fell into the crowd but um all right let me tell you let me think of a funny story what I've been telling you funny but, stories but you're a stand-up discussion. comedian yes
0: you're a stand-up comedian I'm a stand-up comedian you face audiences on a daily basis yes making them laugh yes come on then make me laugh
1: i made you laugh about 12 times. No, you, you haven't. Mean? Yes, I not, did. You've been laughing really. all through this
0: interview. Not really.
1: <laughs> you see, you're laughing now. You're laughing now. Yes. There you go. I did it. Job done.
0: Ginny Yashri, thank you very thank much. Thank
1: you.